This is Hannon Dornby, the Adams County Agriculture and Natural Resources County Extension Agent. And you're listening to Agriculture Applied, Innovate, Relate, Create with NDSU Extension. Today, Dr. Blue Johnson, one of six veterinarians at the West River Vet Clinic located in Hedinger, North Dakota, joins us to discuss Falls cattle work. Blue is married to Janelle and they have three children, Trayson, Kinley, and Brindley, as well as three dogs, Cohen, Ruger, and Taya. Dr. Johnson enjoys hunting, fishing, golfing, and spending time outdoors with friends and family. His special interests are in large animal, especially cattle production and equine medicine. Grab a cup of joe and settle in to ponder innovative ideas and reflect on generational changes when it comes to managing your cattle herd. You're not gonna wanna miss out. Alrighty, everybody, I am here sitting with Dr. Blue Johnson. He is a local veterinarian here in Adams County, and he's agreed to take some time out of his very busy schedule to sit down and do an interview with me and everything. So welcome, Blue. I appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) So I guess we'll just kick things off right away. Heading into fall, what is the running checklist for fall's work that producers should be thinking about? Um, for me, I guess one of the biggest things is looking at the calves, making sure we remember getting those preconditioning and, and weaning time uh, vaccines on board. Uh, also considering the cows, getting them vaccinated if we don't do a spring program. Our deworming strategies, um, some, for some people, de-lice products kind of play into timing with that. Um, but one of the biggest, besides the vaccine, would probably right now we're really busy with ultrasounding. So the ultrasounding and preg check season is one of our biggest things to be working on right now. I guess one other thing kind of along with those would be um, our, our feed availabilities. I mean, we got different people to do fall grazing or um, I mean, crop residue grazing and things like that. So how that plays into what feed we have stockpiled also, I mean, something to be considering with weather and what we can manage outside of having to roll bales out. Right. Now, starting on the very basic level, I don't want to leave anybody behind, right? So what is preg checking? Um, can you explain the process to listeners? Sure. Um, it's as simple as just determining pregnancy. So uh, there are blood tests available that some, uh, we don't really do them out here, but I mean, in the dairy industry, we've, I mean, know they use them a little bit earlier. Um, I'm not overly familiar with them because we haven't used it, but I want to say you can get down to about 18 days um, on conception there. But for us, it's basically going in rectal palpation and we're trying to either identify the calf or uh, structures uh, within the uterus such as the cotyledon or the uterine artery feeling bounding pulses and stuff like that to determine if she is bred. Uh, With just simple hand palpation, we can determine, I mean, by size and things like that, um, different ages of gestation, but it's not as accurate as using the ultrasound. Now, I know growing up, we always preg-checked and everything like that, and so I just um, always assumed that it was something that was pretty common and everything, but something as I'm, you know, talking with more people and having a better understanding and grasp of um, the cattle industry, I've kind of realized that not everybody preg-checks. I mean, out of the people that you work, the ranchers that you work, how many of them do you think... Um, take the time to do that in the fall? 
the ones that we work with, a large percentage do, but we don't work with every person with cattle um, in the area either. So, and, and it's hard to tell exactly because some may use a different source um, for their pregnancy determinations um, outside, outside of our vet clinic. But I, I know from other studies and other things that have been said, maybe 50% of people utilize pregnancy. Um, obviously, our, our clients that we work with, I would say, do a much higher percentage of that be, just because of the fact that I mean, that's what I'm doing all fall and winter is preg checking, and, and that's why they are our clients, I guess. So uh, I think we do a, our clients do a good job of doing that, but I feel there's also a lot of opportunity for other people that aren't using those services to benefit from them. Yeah, and I think we'll touch on it a little bit later, but even thinking outside the box about how you utilize that information. You're already preg checking. How can you be optimizing your management strategies to match up with that? Absolutely. Now, what are the benefits of preg testing like between hand palpation versus ultrasound? Or is it just a personal preference? Can you explain that to listeners a little bit? So for me, the biggest benefit... um, whether it is pregnancy testing, just hand palpation or ultrasound use, is to remove those open cows out of the herd. Um, they're not productive. They're not providing an income base, um, basically not paying their way in the herd. So um, that's the biggest thing is removing the open cows that aren't pregnant. And by determining the ones that are open, it also allows the producer uh, different marketing opportunities of when they want to sell. Some people sell right away in the fall. They don't want to provide one more spear of grass to that animal because she isn't going to provide a calf in the next year. Uh, so, I mean, that would be the, the cut and dry biggest benefit is getting them out of the herd, saving money on feed, mineral, water, I mean, time, everything like that. The ultrasounding then has, I, I feel, extra benefits on top of that. Um, we're able to determine pregnancy more accurately so some people will break up their herds based off of identifying um, gestational groups um, such as AIing or just first cycle second cycle Um, it's also allowed some people especially earlier calvers when we're using ultrasounding they leave the bulls in longer but they're not necessarily keeping those later heifers they're marketing them to I mean the example would be a February March calver Um, there's if they have April and May calves fit into a lot of other people's groups as well there too. So um, by leaving the bulls out longer, they're still able to manage that. Um, we have some people we that utilize sexing the fetus so we can determine um, if it's a bull or a heifer calf after about 60 days of gestation. We try to keep it under 100 days just so we can date them the best. And I mean, as they fall over the pelvic brim, they can be more difficult to find. Uh, I, I've noticed too that as our herd sizes have grown in the last 10, 12 years since I've been here, um, you know, as the neighbor's place may come up for sale or leasing, it, it does allow opportunities in herd expansion. But as we ultrasound these animals, people may calve out the first cycle at one place and the second cycle at another. I feel it also allows us, I mean, as we're breaking up these groups, different feeding opportunities. Um, we don't need to increase our plane of nutrition as early I mean, because third trimester varies between a month to two months in some of them. So there's a lot of outside benefits, I feel, to ultrasounding on some of that. Um, and, and 
other examples would be earlier detection of, of that fetus. We can pick them up down as far as 30 days, um, some even down to 28, but we usually just tell people around 30 days and make it easy. Um, that allows, I've had people with AIing, um, they'll pull off the AIs early, they know they're bred at 25, or I mean 35 days, 40 days, something like that, manage them completely different in a pasture like without a bull. So there's, there's lots of different things we're seeing with people utilizing ultrasounding. Right, and I imagine even on years like this year when it was so dry out and you're needing to be more strategic with your grasses, that could come into play there and everything. And yeah, growing up, we always, it gets to be close to calving season and we're out there splitting our heifers up and they get put in the the, the kiddie pool, I guess you could say. They get the, those AI'd ones, they kind of get separated off so you can keep an extra close eye on them. And it really makes labor a lot easier yeah. too, especially because there's so many producers that they don't have a lot of extra help and calving season is stressful enough as it is. And the other thing I, I mean, notice too is facility management. I mean, the example I'll say is if you have corral that can hold 200 cows and is it, it's a lot easier to bring, have 500 cows and bring 200 of them in as they're ready to calve instead of building another facility or adding on to accommodate 500 cows in it calving. So especially with earlier calving, um, we've seen that as a big benefit. You don't have to bring in a whole herd um, even if bad weather is coming, uh, you can manage your facilities a lot better with, with ultrasounding strategies. Right. And it's a lot easier to keep an eye on 200 cows and catch the problems as they occur there yep. rather than 500. Absolutely. Uh, Alrighty, so let's put dollar signs to this question. I know that's really what's going to get people thinking about changing things up is if it's an economic benefit to them. So I, I, I did a talk years ago over at Bowman for Beef Days, and this is something that I talked about at that meeting. Um, so I'm gonna just kind of run through these numbers really quick. Obviously everybody's operation is different, how long they would potentially be feeding, um, the forages they put up and everything, but I base this off of like uh, November one preg check and if we went all the way through April. So I, I think a fair amount of people, depending on winter grazing situations, are starting to roll some bales out at least in November, and they're probably still feeding some in April, or through April up to about May, just because the grass usually isn't growing very much by then. So that's where the numbers from this come from. So I used the example of a 100 head cow operation, and our national average is around 10% open, so therefore if we went and preg checked on November 1, we should find around 10 open cows on a typical 60-day calving interval type situation. Um, obviously, up in the north, our cows may need more feed uh, when the weather gets cold, but we always talk about a 2% of our body weight on an average, so it could go up from that. And I'm strictly just looking, <clears throat> excuse me, looking at like a dry forage um, in this example. But so if those cows are eating 2% of a, a hay-based forage, 24 pounds, you start figuring in dry, on a dry matter base, the same from 25 to 30 pounds. And I just use the 25 pounds, to stay on the low end, um, that those cows would be eating daily. So if you have uh, 180 days in that six months, those cows are gonna eat roughly, each cow would eat about 4,500 pounds or two and a quarter tons of hay. I just looked last night, I mean, some different places, just on the grass, hay, around $80. I'm sure you can find some cheaper, some more expensive. 
but I just went with an $80 on this example. Um, so on the two and a quarter tons at $80 a ton, I come up with $180 per cow on forage that these cows are gonna eat from November through April. If we preg checked, we could have sold them right then, potentially saved $180 per cow and the 10 cows we're talking. So it'd be a total of $1,800 in just hay we could have saved by preg checking. Uh, I took off the cost of about $300, $350 to preg check 100 cows. So essentially it could have saved you $1,500 if you had that national average and you didn't have any other forage availability to winter foraging to grazing on. So um, for some people that's not, I mean, well, it's not that big a number or whatever, but you can take that and make it even more. I mean, if you had a 500 cow deal, we take, I mean, that up to $7,000, $7,500. It becomes a big thing. Um, it also allows us to feed opens. If you don't want to, you can feed them differently, get, a, I mean, implant, do different things to put a better rate of gain on those cows for better marketing. So I, I still feel no matter how big our operation is, we can usually benefit financially from preg checking. I, and like I said, I still feel if we cut this in half, if we do it in January on uh, May, if you'd be done calving in May, you'd still be able to take half of that, uh, $750 over the cost of preg checking. And so for me, when it comes down to people preg checking, I look at it as almost strictly financial. We don't have to stick our arm up the back end to find out if she's pregnant. You can wait nine months and figure out if she got bred or not from when the bull jumped her. So. I just look at it as a financial deal. How much benefit is there financially for each producer? Right. And I think we both can agree with how tight margins have been lately. Any way that you can, you know, optimize what you're getting at the sale barn and using it as a way to change the way you're managing your herd is definitely some worth considering. And I know I've had other people, I mean, the last few years we've had relatively open winters um, with more corn being out. I mean, that, I know it's a more popular thing, especially east and, I mean, Iowa, Minnesota, and even East River, North and South Dakota is grazing corn stalks when we can, um, cleaning that up because otherwise it's just wasted potential. So I we have seen more cows in the last few years being out on corn residues and different crop residues. Those are essentially free other than making sure we get water and mineral to these animals. It's a very cheap source. So it does cut down on that difference in cost there. But usually, I mean, you have to almost run them all the way through. But we really need to be increasing plain nutrition in that third trimester. Again, anyhow, um, I, I still, I've never been able to come up with a scenario where it's not cost benefit. Unless you have almost hardly ever any opens. But like I said, on the average, we see around 10%. And that's an average. I mean, that doesn't count for the bad years. And yep. And we actually, a few years back, worked with NDSU on a breeding research project. And every herd we went to, we wrote down, I mean, kind of the time intervals that we had, um, how bull stocking densities and what kind of preg rates we were at. And on average, I think we were right in that 10, 11% range for the year of preg checking and ultrasounding. So we're, we're right there even, I mean, some groups, yes, I know are better and some are worse, but um, on average, we're right in that 10% as well. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. Now, we've been talking about a lot of ways that you can utilize preg checking and, you know, adjust your management practices. 
Do you have a specific example that you know of a producer that started prank checking and decided to switch things up? I, I Probably not so much an exact example, but I have seen a lot more trend going towards the ultrasounding. Um, and it's such a short window for a lot of producers and they're usually out on pasture. So one thing that we've done at the clinic is we've um, incorporated different uh, equipment. We've got a portable corral system, a portable tub and alley, um, and it's allowed us to be able to do more ultrasounding out in the pastures and settings like that to allow for people that want this service. Because I get, I mean, if you got a lot of different pastures, it, it gets really difficult trying to manage an early preg check or an ultrasound type scenario. So um, I would see, say if anything, we've seen more of a trend towards trying to utilize the ultrasound services, um, especially early on. Okay. Now I'm gonna play devil's advocate a little bit here. Why wouldn't a producer want a prank check? Are there any scenarios where it just doesn't make sense? Um, I can come up with maybe a couple, um, but it doesn't match up for most producers. But if you're looking at having a, a fall herd as well, um, if you're not prank checking in there though, and you're not managing those two herds separately, you basically are just calving almost year round. Right, so, who wants to do that? <laughs> most don't, but so I mean, I could see that as a potential where if you have a so-called split group, um, you may be able to get by not preg checking because my example would be if, if you're done calving by June one um, and your fall herd would start August one. Um, I mean, there's a couple months in there that if something did cab outside of our normal intervals, is it really hurting much in that fall herd? Probably not. But I mean, at some point we got to make a cutoff. Otherwise we're calving through all the bad weather and good weather and everything. So um, maybe that's one. I would also say uh, kind of the, the grazing, the, the forage residues in, in perfect years and stuff. If we know we have a lot of forage availability and even forages that we've put up, um, I would say that may potentially negate some of those issues of when we would preg check or if it would exactly, I don't want to say it's never feasible because like I've mentioned, I, I, I think the, the numbers are there, the math is there to say it's usually cost benefit, but there's also extra benefits of knowing when those cows are going to cab and I mean, management practices. So it's not just, it's not just a financial thing. So for me, it's never... I always encourage doing it, but I mean, if somebody said, you know, I, I never hardly have any opens, maybe they have the superior genetics to back it. Maybe they have the feed to help back that. Maybe they have extra, I mean, cost to help cover some of those expenses on it. But um, I, I feel for the most part, it, it's always beneficial. You mentioned that the average open rate is around 10%, 10-11% and everything. You know, can you walk through the problem-solving steps that you take if that percentage is higher than normal? Well, a couple different things. Age groups play a big part of that. So um, we typically will see heifers being anywhere from 10 to 15%, so a little bit higher than our average. Um, and depending on how long we're running those, we have a lot of different management strategies. I have some people that don't even turn a bull out. They only AI. We have different groups where they're looking at 45 days or maybe even only 30 days on bull bread scenarios, tightening up that calving interval 
and hoping to select over years just the most fertile animals, the ones that will conceive the earliest, and then marketing our opens earlier and differently on, on the heifers. Um, the, the cow herd management changes a little bit. Uh, so we a lot of the time, two-year-olds can be some of the toughest to get bred. So I always tell people, if you run 10, 15, or five, or six, always look at the age of your cows that you're having the problems with. And it may dictate feeding strategies in the winter, um, trying to keep those younger cows in more of a growing um, plane of nutrition rather than trying to fight with the older boss cows. I feel like once we hit four and up, we've kind of met that maturity. We're over the hump on these cows. Uh, we should be in a much lower percent on them unless we had something happen. So when I'm going through with a client, one first thing is always looking at the age of the animal we're having an issue with. It's not just the overall percentage rate. Because um, if we had a 10% open rate, which is average, but we lost almost all of our two and three year olds, we kind of know what the problem was there. It's probably more management or, or potentially bull related or something pasture management related wise. So some of those problems we can answer. Some of them, we just never end up coming up with the conclusion. We're always hindsight on everything. We're looking back three to six months trying to figure out why did this happen? Why do we have so many opens? Why did, I mean, why was this group more open? So um, earlier detection can help some things. I know we've been trying to analyze different things with liver biopsies, trying to help um, formulate mineral packages with our, I mean, local nutrition companies and stuff like that to better, um, tailor what we may be needing coming off pasture and stuff like that. So we are trying to implement some liver biopsy analysis at preg check time as well right now. Yeah, that's super interesting and it's kind of crazy all the different uh, resources and the technology that's available nowadays. Yeah, it's it's not just, I mean, sticking our hand up the rear to find out what's, I mean, we're trying to, even though we're, that is kind of the end result that we're doing is giving those answers, it's trying to at least make sure everything's running right and if it isn't what what can we do to try and protect it and fix it because it's there's a lot of investment into i mean these cows and and management practices and strategies and everything that we do throughout the year kind of comes down to how well did we treat these cows and how well did they respond and and how how much is pregnant right no for sure now as we're kind of on the downward slope and everything are moving to wrap stuff up you see several different types of operations day in and day out can you share about some of the more innovative individuals you've had the pleasure of working with you know is there anything that specifically stands out to you as we're kind of going into this age of innovation and what's the next big thing that people will be able to do and get a premium for um one thing that's slowly making its way there, and I'm, I'm, I guess I'm hopeful for it, is DNA testing. Um, we're seeing some producers utilizing the benefits of DNA testing early on for genetics, um, parentage, and just overall production parameters. We can help determine some of those um, before we invest money into feed and growing these animals and trying to breed them and everything like that. So I think that's one big thing. The technology base with ultrasounding, I have different clients. They're getting big. I mean, our clients are getting bigger. Our producers are getting a lot bigger. They're not shrinking by any means. So um, I have one in particular. We probably ultrasound 1,400 cows for them, and they have 
quite a few different places where we deal with them. And so when we're ultrasounding, we're grouping them by age and we're also sexing them. And we use hair dye to mark shoulder, rib, hip for first, second, third cycles. But when we can sex those, we also turn which direction we're putting the hair dye. So we may have a mark going up and down for heifers and sideways for bulls. They also use that when they, instead of waiting till they calve to split up for pastures, they do that ahead of time. So they don't have to worry about managing the calves in that sort. So they calve these cows out in different pastures on that. So that's probably one of the more innovative ones on the ultrasound side. We see a lot of people using hair dye for groupings or ear tags. Um, electronic tags are becoming a little bit more popular. I know we're getting a scanner here in the future as we're kind of leaning towards that with different producers wanting that um, for identification sources. So, I mean, you, as you tie those things in, it's all kind of neat to see. Um, it's not just the regular ear tag. It's not just she's bred anymore. We're, we're really pinpointing gestational groups and, and how we can manage them better. Yeah, no, that's really exciting and everything. I mean, I, getting to, you know, you chat with people who have been doing it forever and just hearing how things have evolved and changed over the years. And, I mean, it's it's fun to see people making, you know, steps forward and everything for sure. And I think part of it, too, is it's not just looking at a bread cow anymore. It's looking at the profitability per cow per day of age. I mean, when what do we need to maximize our profits? And obviously the more first cycle conception is easy, but you can, I mean, how these calves are growing and what a second cycle cow can do. I mean, we have the capability of looking at, I mean, day of age of calves and what they're doing and growing. And so between genetics and all these things that, I mean, are going on anymore, we're literally looking at our profitability per day instead of just having a pregnant cow to have a calf to sell at the end of the year, which I know some people still do that, but it, you are starting to see a lot more advancement in, in these determining things. Right, right. Now, um, my last question to wrap things up is, how have you worked with Extension? That's one thing I try to do with my podcast is trying to loop in Extension because I think there's a lot of really great resources available through an extension office. There's still days where I'm like, oh, that's something that I can do. Like I can offer that service. That's a thing. How have you worked with an extension or what benefits have you seen from producers that utilize their local extension office? I know directly we've, especially over the last few years, last few years had a better working relationship with extension just through meetings and stuff like that. We've been involved in them and, and spoke at them and things like that to help kind of tie in the the research knowledge of production with what we're seeing out in the field, um, what disease managements, um, you know, out here range is huge. So, I mean, as a vet, we're not range specialists. I, I refer a lot of people back to the extension when they're talking of pasture management, uh, rotational grazing type scenarios. I'm not an expert in that. I, I mean, it, it's very interesting. It's a, it's a neat advancement that a lot of ranchers are taking advantage of right now. Um, same thing with crop residues. I mean, you have to manage your nutrition differently. Um, as much as I hate saying it, probably the weakest part of most vets is not being great at nutrition. I mean, we understand that where deficiencies may lie in the problems that are there. But determining the exact deficiency 
um, or the problem with the forage, that's where your nutritionists come in. So between nutritionists, extension, and the veterinarian, um, working as a team, I would say, is always a better scenario than just trying to one person throwing guesses or, or only trying to do it by yourself. So I, I've tried to manage, I guess, with my clients utilizing extension where they can for some of those other problems outside of disease management or something like that that hopefully we can help deal with them. Right. Well, I mean, you think about any type of sporting team, you got your defensive expert, your offensive coach, and, you know, so on and so forth. And, I mean, the same thing goes for um, ranchers. I mean, you got to have these different people on your team that can help you be the best that you can be and, you know, go out and win that game. (laughs) (laughs) The game we call life, though, right? (laughs) And, I mean, hopefully everybody kind of sees and realizes the benefits. I mean, it. It's easy to get behind, I feel. I mean, the way the markets move and, and what can happen, we're, we're a hailstorm away from having nothing. We're a bad a blizzard away from potentially not having enough feed or not getting the cows in in time. So, I mean, anything we can do to stay on top of those type of scenarios, uh, be better prepared for the worst case scenarios is always great. I, I grew up in a ranching I mean, family and I always thought we had too much hay on hand and we'd have a year to two if we could and stockpiled up and yeah most years we probably did have too much we tried managing that early in the year to dispose of it but when it got short and we actually had to buy some I started catching on really quick at a young age that it can be kind of disastrous at times out here the weather really is not beneficial all the time and so utilizing everything a person can to better be prepared um take advantage of it take advantage of extension visit with your vets visit with i mean all those type of resources to be better prepared and and minimize our risks no definitely for sure but i guess that's all i have for you unless there's anything else that you think we missed or you want to touch on not really i mean i guess i like I said, I'm probably maybe biased on the preg checking side. I know that was what we focused on here today was preg checking and ultrasounding. But um, I, I would love to visit with anybody who I, I guess is on that other side. That I mean, like you said, the devil's advocate there. Um, I'm, I'm always open to different things. If you would love to, I mean, to sit down and visit with me on it, I, I'd be happy to go over some of those scenarios and, and see if we can help benefit by doing it. Or maybe I need to look at it in a different avenue as well. So... Um, anything animal health related, um, disease questions, vaccines, preg checking, anything like that, just let us know. We're, we're always trying to keep somebody available to answer questions and happy to help in any way we can. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for taking time out of your schedule and everything. I know we uh, bounced around a little bit before we were <laughs> able to <laughs> pin things down and whatnot, but I... I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm sure there's going to be lots of listeners out there that will gain some nice insight from this as well. Well, thank you. And I appreciate you having me and it was always fun getting to be more involved with you guys and see where we can go in the future to help other people out. So thank you. That's a wrap. If you found yourself tapping along to our theme music, those rights go to Chuck Suki. He sure can write a catchy tune. Final thanks to Nolan Dix over on the Bix board. Hair and makeup by Country Style. Coffee provided by George's and the Owl. Sure to keep you wide-eyed from sunup to sundown. 
and of course, to you, the listener, for your continued support. Agriculture Applied can be heard wherever podcasts can be found. If you're having trouble or have any sort of question, give Hannah, that's me, a call at 701-567-2735. Until next time, take care. Thank you.